0: is Anything Funny with me, Kate Murphy. Pef Soulsby will be with us soon, your other Anything Funny presenter. Um, today, we have a phenomenal interview coming up for you with a comedian called Sammy Dobson, who I always want to go straight into calling her Sammy Sammy Davis Jr. I watch a lot of Frank Sinatra documentaries and listen to a lot of Frank Sinatra. So whenever I, I go to say her name, I very nearly every time always say, call her Sammy Davis Jr. That's not her name. Her name's Sammy Dobson. She's a very funny comedian. She's an actor. She's been in I, Daniel Lake and uh, as well as Biker Grove from the ages of 14 to 18 and she also has OCD and that's what she is going to be talking to us about today. Now continuing the the mental health season that we've had going on on Anything Funny. For a few months now, because uh, as it turns out, there there are a lot of comedians, uh, a lot of comedians in the northeast as well as in the world who deal with mental health issues. So we're talking to them in depth, and they're talking to us very candidly about it. So. Today, what you what you need to know and what you need to expect is that uh, there will be more, very, very, the most honest that it's ever been, very honest talk about mental health issues. And uh, there's going to be, uh, the subject of sex is going to be spoken about today um, by Sammy Dobson, not Sammy Davis Jr., by Sammy Dobson, um, mental health, sex, so if... If you're likely to be offended or uncomfortable, it's a little bit too close to home for you, any of this stuff, it's best not to tune in for today. But uh, in a future show, um, you, you can do. Um, so, first of all, what we're going to have is a, a quick music break. Here's the antics with Face Like Thunder. So, I'm here with Sammy Dobson, uh, actor and comedian. Um, first of all, to talk about Listless, your show that's on a jest this year. So Listless was
1: basically the show I did at Edinburgh last year. But last year I did half an hour and this year is an hour. So what I'm sort of doing is last year's show and next year's show and they're meeting in the middle. Because I'm not going to Edinburgh this year. Why not? Well, we, we me and Hal, who I know you've met, lovely Hal, me and Hal applied for this year and we got given a room and a time that we, neither that we really would have chosen I suppose he's just had a baby um I am a bit sort of anxious about being in that part of Edinburgh alone at midnight which is when the show would finish when people are drinking and when I've spoken about the stuff that I speak about on stage which is a bit close to the bone so I don't think it just sort of suited either of for particularly well and we thought well you've just had a baby I could do with a year off let's sort of put it on the back burner and then both go next year with a full one hour and do it properly so I think that's the plan at the minute
0: listless it's 16 plus and the content is your your romantic relationships your romantic failings mostly
1: the failings yeah it was um in in brief I lost a list that I had kept I suppose in order to feel a bit better about everything If, if I kept a list about everyone and every person then nobody could accuse me of sluttish behavior if you go well I know everyone and I remember the names and I know exactly and then once you lose the list you actually realize you don't remember and then you have to spend a long time putting it back together feeling quite bad about going oh my god I, I know the number but I'm missing nine people and I don't remember any of them <laughs> so it's, it was really interesting for me in my real life trying to piece it back together and going oh god I searching desperately through Facebook asking friends you were around this time can you remember people um and it was a really stressful thing. But it was around the time that I was trying to write that Edinburgh show. And I thought, actually, my misery is quite funny to other people. Because I was saying, oh, yeah, I remember this lad. He did this. or oh, this happened. And they were like, oh, my God. And I was like, yeah, none of it's positive. So you start telling other people these stories. And they were like, this is ridiculous. And I thought, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have to put this on stage, aren't I? So all of it's real. There's only one story in the entire show that isn't mine. It's a friend. Um, and I love it. And it was about an ex-person. <laughs> and I loved that story so much. I was like, can I please use it? And she went, oh, what if he realises it's him? I was like, I promise you, I'll change enough about it for no one to ever be able to recognise themselves out of this story. But I must use it because it's so funny. So that's the only one that isn't me.
0: So the does this list go back to the, the very beginning, the first the first ever person that you were ever with? Yes. I listened to your, your episode with uh, Let's Talk oh, with Carl Halbert. Yes. Uh, and you mentioned that, you you said, i count the count on my hand the number of times I've been embarrassed in my life. Yes. And you talked about how important shamelessness yes. is in comedy. So what a perfect subject for for a personality trait <laughs> like that. So how long have you been happily discussing that part of your life? Oh, as soon as it happened. I mean, the minute I would walk out of
1: a room where something awful had just happened, <laughs> I'd have to find someone <laughs> to go, oh my God, you won't believe what just went on in there. I really, for me, as much as I love different elements of comedy that aren't like that, I love the silliness of someone like Samo Mace or or Jason Byrne or the the beautiful thought and intricacy behind someone like Daniel Kitson. I've always found rudeness funny. I've always, I mean, my dad gave us a stack of his old Viz magazines when I was about 10 years old. And I always found the the sort of, the joy in rude, I mean, obviously when you're a child, it's all the, the that's hilarious there's nothing funnier than that but as you got a bit older and understanding what they meant how funny and rude it was and then stupid names for rude things and i've always really reveled in in rudeness and and even like i i will still hold dear the carry-on films no matter how how much people slay them that sort of cheeky rudeness and seaside humor and i love all that that's great so there's nothing funnier for me than trying to get people to laugh at really silly funny things that happen in those situations where immediately everyone becomes embarrassed. That is the sort of situation that happens to me in real life where I will start crying laughing because there's nothing funnier than a silly noise or just where something happens that really ruins a moment and I just go, well, this is great. I enjoy this. And everyone else
0: is like, yeah, it must feel so good being the person who's going there because having a room full of people understanding how uncomfortable the subject is and how embarrassing it is, but it must feel so powerful being the person who's saying it and speaking it out of their own mouth and, and just going there. Do you know what?
1: It, it is in a way, but I think the most powerful thing about it is it's a woman doing it. Because I like to think, whether it's true or not, I like to think I talk about sex like a man does.
0: How would you describe how men talk or about sex? Or what I would say and is how you traditionally
1: how a man does that a man would then go and make jokes about it or go and tell his friends and, and be graphic and silly and whatever, that a man, a man is in a better role to do that and then women often feel a bit more embarrassed. Obviously, a woman with her friends, no, there's no holds barred. But in mixed company, a woman would yeah. maybe be more likely to hold back and I never have. I, I always Because there's a, a beautiful look of like shock on a man's face when a woman starts talking about that sort of thing that I live for. I love to make a man feel uncomfortable because it's a woman talking about something that he feels she shouldn't talk about. That for me, that's 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 why I do it. I love seeing that look across a man's face, and the next best look to that is the look of his missus's face. Going, I know exactly what you mean, and I've never been able to admit it. They're the two, the two things I look out on a crowd and go, yes, that's what I want, because it's it's a woman hearing a woman talk honestly about things that she totally thinks and believes and like. Things as silly as, like, not washing your bra very often. Women never admit, certainly to their partners, that, you know, I don't put this in the washing machine probably for two or three weeks because, oh, that would be dirty and horrible. And women are dirty and horrible. Or the fact that women have hair on their big toes that often they shave off and they don't tell anyone and it's a big secret. When you say something like that and you just see a woman's eyes widen and her face pale and you go, I know your secrets. I'm one of you. (laughs) Because it's just something that you don't really talk about. I love
0: that. I love all that. Have you always had it in your head that... Yeah, I think if I do this, then it must mean a lot of other people are doing this. Or have you ever thought, am I the only person who does these things? I think I used to, but probably when I was much younger, probably when I was maybe
1: early 20s, 2021, that I'd be like, oh my God, no one must ever find out that I do this because surely no one else does. I must be the disgusting one. And then as you get a bit older, you go, hang on. No, everyone's doing this, aren't they? They're just not talking about it. And then you say it on a stage and women cackle as a collective and you go, we of course all do
0: it, we just don't talk about it. And that's really fun. I went to see um, Sarah Pascoe and oh, she, she did this. She's like, she like 10 minutes on incest <laughs> and how interesting it seems. <laughs> and there were, there were people, the people didn't know how to react, but other people were properly, okay, Okay, I'll just let go and get into this. Because people, people think weird things. Of course. Everyone thinks messed up things. Look at the internet Yeah, for a moment,
1: <laughs> will you? And you'll see
0: that all over, wall to wall. So I'm wondering, have you ever been approached by anyone after a show going, thank you, yes, yes, I thought I was the only one? Oh, i God, so many times. Obviously, always women.
1: O- only ever women? Always women. Um, <laughs> usually when men come up, they go, I don't usually find women funny, but yeah. I like
0: that. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. How many times have you said that to women? Oh, every female comedian you've seen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <top>. um, <laughs> funny that, isn't it? You should maybe reassess it. Never mind. Um, oh, this really annoys us. Men, after last year's show, spoiler alert, the culmination of the show being my boyfriend, who I love, who I've been with for over three years now, and the happiness in a relationship and the things that come out of that, the whole show ends on that message and that thing after the amount of blokes who've come up and gone, hey, can I go on your list? Do you want to go for a drink? And it's like, did you not listen to the end of the show about my boyfriend, who I love very much? Come on now. But, um. oh always, most gigs there'll be a woman who comes up and says oh my god I do that or I can't believe it and one girl at the end of last year's show who I love and I'm now still friends with on Instagram and certain things she came up and went I thought I was the only person with that list and when I'd started doing it her two friends turned around and went because it was like oh my god this is you you do this and that for me was interesting because I didn't actually, I didn't know anyone else who'd kept a document like I'd kept that document because when I'd say to people, oh, I've lost my list, blah, they'd go, what? Are you a serial killer? Why have you got that? Why are you keeping that sort of data? That's insane. So the fact another girl sat there going, that's me, that's what I do. I was like, oh, you dancer, this is brilliant. Because I was reading about your show and it mentions that a big part of it is admin. Yes. Oh, the admin element of it is essential. So it is it's names in order and then their age in brackets and mine next to it. So I like to keep the ages because that's that's useful. I know, for example, that around the age of 22, I went a bit mad. So if I can look at those names and go, oh, no. Oh, it was when I went a bit mad. That's totally Tell fine. Tell me more about that. Um, that was in the wake of quite an unpleasant breakup. I think I just sort of... I think when when you're at that age and you don't really know what's going to happen in the future. And, and you've sort of assumed everything's going to go one way for a long time, that everything's linear, that, oh, well, X, Y and Z will happen and this is fine, and then someone takes that away from you without you expecting it. It's literally like them pulling the tablecloth out from under your feet. And I think there was a a combination of a lot of things where I just sort of felt, I think I lost a lot of caring about me. What were those things? Um, Well, at the time, it was certainly that break-up. The, the the loss of that best friend not even like a partner of losing someone who was very very dear and and him going off and and not choosing me and that that massive rejection that was hard to deal with and any form of that in my life always reflects itself in my OCD that always gets much worse and then I find when my OCD gets much worse I really hate myself for my OCD being that bad and I end up in this loop of constantly chasing my tail of but I need to do more, and if you do more, then that's worse, and, and it's a horrible little anxiety loop that I don't like. So everything sort of spiralled for a bit. And then things started to get better, and I climbed out the other side, and just around the time I started feeling good again, I was involved in an enormous car accident and nearly lost my life.
2: What a cliffhanger to end on there. Sammy Dobson. Part one of the interview with Sammy today. We will be hearing more from her later, but it is now time for... Yes, it is time for our Hashtag GigaGlide. This is where we tell you about all of the comedy events that are happening in the northeast. However, this week and the next week, everyone's gone to Edinburgh, haven't they? Well, they would do, wouldn't they? But there are still some shows happening in our neck of the woods. It's one of the only times you can say down south in Newcastle. (laughs) So um, I actually don't think there's any comedy shows happening today that's a first that's the first first. time that's ever happened since launching Anything Funny at the beginning of 2017 I think this is the first time we can say nothing's on tonight it's going to be a serious day then Uh, but tomorrow Kevin Bridges and friends are at the Stand Comedy Club in Newcastle for a work in progress I do have to inform you it is sold out of course if you are interested in uh, getting tickets for these special gigs in future make sure you sign up for the Stand Newcastle mailing list um, also on the 8th, that's tomorrow, we've got Seams Rhubarb and Custard playing host at the Hilarity Bites Comedy Club featuring Alison June Smith all the way from Canada and Dan Nightingale. And also on Tuesday in Geesborough, the Hilarity Bitesize new act and new material night with Dan Nightingale again, he's a busy chap, with Phil Chapman hosting and some supports. Wednesday is, of course, Red Raw at the Stan, Newcastle. The weekly showcase for beginners, letting the newest comedians in the northeast try out their material in front of a live audience for the first time, with up to ten new acts. And the headliner is going to be John Whale. So you know that's going to be worth the uh, three pound, four pound it costs now. Yeah, John Whale's great. Uh, on Thursday, there is the beginning of the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday shows at the Stan, Newcastle. Jonathan Mayer, Stephen Carlin, Kay Alley, who is a poet, she's amazing. I really would recommend getting on to see her if you can. Catherine Scott and Matt Reed hosting. Then this weekend, there's the Kids Comedy Club back at the Stan, Newcastle, on Sunday the 13th of August. Kate, you've you've seen one of these yourself? Yes. What? And we have, we have a show on this, which was episode four of Anything Funny. How would you describe the Kids Comedy Club for someone who hasn't been?
0: It is funny, no matter how old you are, which is an important thing to say. It's not something that your kids drag you along to and something that you sit through and fake laugh at. You, you, will, you will laugh real laughs at this thing because it is hosted and headlined by very talented comedians who know how to do kids comedy because kids comedy, at its
2: best, is comedy that makes everyone laugh just without swearing. Yes. Which I think actually is a bit of a skill. Uh, they do say boobies. Oh, okay. And... Other words.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I can say on radio, but you can at a kids' comedy club, which is interesting.
2: <laughs> Very interesting. Now, um, on the 13th is Matt Reed's Gag Reels, which we mentioned in the last show. It's a new panel show at The Stan, Newcastle based on the movies, but it's not movie trivia. The premise of films, with teams battling out to be the best at having nothing and everything to do with the movies, lots of games, lots of jokes, all hosted by Matt Reed, and it's described as the best panel show about films that isn't really about films. Sounds good to me. Monday the 14th, good grief is at the Stand Newcastle. That's an evening of comedy of emerging talent from the northeast with four acts and one experienced compare for only three pounds. Tuesday the 15th, Kevin Bridges is back at the Stand with his work in progress, but that, is that one sold out as well? That one sold out too. However, if you are interested, do contact the Stand Newcastle to go on the reserve list. If somebody doesn't collect their tickets or they cancel, they will contact you and let you have that that ticket. I was almost going to say they'll let you have that seat. You will not be getting a seat. You will be standing up at the back of the room, but it's it's worth it for Scotland's biggest comedy export. Red Raw back again at the stand on the 16th of August, then Thursday the 17th is The Suggestibles, the North East's favourite improv comedy troupe. If you like Whose Line Is It Anyway, then you'll love the games that they play, and it always finishes with an improvised musical. And Kate's taken part in that herself. Yes. What was the musical the last time you did it? The last time, the musical was... Um,
0: it was Aspects of Roads. Because it always begins with Aspects of, like Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical Aspects of Love. Um, so it's Aspects of, and then the throat of to the audience and say, give us any broad subject, absolutely anything. They've done Aspects of Package Holidays, Aspects of Greggs, Aspects of Meat. <laughs> uh, and when I was there, it was Aspects of Roads at the last one.
2: But yeah, always a great night where you'll, you'll be... You know, bent over double with laughter. Um, If you're a little bit further out, though, then Hartley Pot Pothouse has got another hilarity bite-sized new act and new material night hosted by local Andy Fury. He's always good value. Friday the 18th is kicking off of the Stan's weekend shows. Roger Monkhouse, Johnny Candon, Deej Paxton and Katie Mulgrew hosting. I'm guessing not Katie Mulgrew from Deep Space. No, uh, from Star Trek Voyager. But that's that's who I think of whenever I hear that name. Captain Janeway. Uh, Sunday the 20th of August, our favourite impressionist Cal Halbert is putting on a benefit gig in aid of the Sick Children's Trust at the stand in Newcastle. Elvis is in the building. Now, in many ways, Cal and Elvis are exactly the same. Maybe not in terms of the hair, maybe not in terms of musical talent or good looks. Uh, the waistline is closed, but let's not get petty. With the greatest respect, Cal is actually nothing like Elvis, apart from his sideburns and the jumpsuit and the, uh, the way he has an amazing voice (laughs) he compares his life to his idols in a show filled with impressions guests and a musical number or two and it also marks 40 years after the death of Elvis Presley Ah, so it's a good one yeah it was 1977 1977 the year punk was born and Elvis died
0: and if you want to hear Carl Halbert talking in depth about mental health just flick back a couple of episodes and we spoke to him as well
2: and then on Sunday, um, after the Cal Halbert benefit gig, Seymour Mace is back to make it all up as he goes along. Who yeah, we've spoken to about mental health as well. And that's about it. That's all that's happening in the Newcastle-Tyneside-Wearside area <laughs> in the next two weeks. Because, like we said, everyone has gone off to but Edinburgh. In Edinburgh. And Edinburgh. Uh, so, you know do go and support our favourite comedians up at the Edinburgh Festival. Loads of the our, our Northeastern North pals are up there. Sammy Dobson herself uh, will not be there this year but she will be next year. Um, and Spontaneous Rex, uh, some of our improv pals are going to be there and I think Kate you're going to be popping up for a bit yourself. Yeah, for their kids comedy show Spontaneous Rex, picture this. And as we say, the best kids comedy everyone now mm. as well so now it's time for the second part of our Sammy Dobson interview um, as in the first we will be having some fairly serious topics being dealt with uh, in this part she talks candidly about her mental health in particular her OCD and uh, the the rituals that uh, she does in order to as uh, how she experiences that OCD and uh, also a mention of some events in her childhood Um that she thinks shaped her as she is today. So here we go. Sammy Dobson here on uh, Spark, where Sunderland lives, and anything funny where comedy lives.
1: My OCD centres a lot around the idea of keeping people safe uh, it and it bad things happen. It often does, yeah. And that's, that's the very centre of it for me, and it used to be when I was little that I don't, I don't want anything bad to happen to my mum and dad. So if I do X, Y, and Z, I can protect them. If I count all these things, if I do all these sums, if I don't walk on the cracks, if I do all of the superstitions people tell me about 7 is lucky, 13 is unlucky salute the magpies don't put shoes on tape, all that So I, I really took all that in and took it very seriously um, and then they'll be okay then, they'll be okay um, and it got worse and worse and worse and then I eventually got help for it and I stopped doing it for a while and then my grandad died and I thought, well that's my fault because I'm protected him, it wasn't, he was a very old man and he was very ill but my my brain went, Nope, nope, gonna have to keep doing that again. So I eventually stopped again. Um and then nearly died in a car crash. And I tried to go, no. You don't do this to protect yourself, you do this to protect other people. So logically, this isn't anything to do with your O C D. So it did get worse afterwards and then I talked myself out of it. And I was like, No no. This is a separate thing, it's nothing to do with you. And did that work for a while? It did. Unfortunately, three months to the day after my car accident, my mum was diagnosed with cancer. And that was it. That was the absolute ceiling limit on, well, obviously I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Sure. (laughs) So it got really bad through that. I'm, like, out of control bad.
0: When it was at its worst, what was it like? What sort of things were you doing? The the worst thing... I'm
1: doing it straight away. The worst thing for me is I hold my breath. So I I count uh, things out. It's really hard to try and describe it, I think. So I do, if if I deem something undone, unfinished, or a task not complete or successful, for example, if I'm driving down a road and I see a road sign with a road number, um, the 1318 that runs through Gosford, if I see that and I start doing all my sums to make those numbers add up to seven, if I then see another road sign with a new road number on it, and I haven't finished those sums, I have to start doing these new ones, but I never finished those ones. So there needs to be some sort of short-term punishment, as I term it. God. So what I do is, I bite the corners of my mouth quite hard, and hold my breath, and I do that for three counts of seven. So it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then exhale, five, six, seven, eight. It's all quite musical, I can fit it into whatever, usually songs are in a four, four format, and if you count seven as two syllables, it'll fit in with eight, eight. That was a lot of information too quickly. But I can fit it in and I can usually
0: do it so people don't even notice. But I've got people in the car they do not notice I'm doing it. Have you worked out how to do that over the years? When I mean when did you when did it first did you first remember becoming a part of your life? The when I was counting?
1: nine. Nine. Yeah. And it started very simply as the, digi- the the TV at the end of my bed had a digital clock on it red numbers. And someone I'd sort of become familiar with the idea that seven was the luckiest number. And I thought, okay, well, to have good dreams, what I'll do is, every night before I go to sleep, I'll make all the numbers on that clock, add up to, or any permutation of those
0: numbers, make a sum into seven. Why did why was that the first decision that you made, the dreams? Why did you think, okay, seven, lucky, okay, dreams, this is going to work if I do this? I
1: think it was dreams. I also think at the time there was a, a big issue of control going on in my life. This was very much my way of taking control of a situation that I had little control of.
0: What, so you were, is that something that stressed you out at that age, having bad dreams? No, I what, think. Where it was, was the lack of control? I th- th- my it life. Was, at that point,
1: my mum and dad had a bit of a rough patch, and I had sailed through my childhood at that point, never even seen a crossed word between my parents. Mm. So for this to come out of nowhere, for there to be this. Atmosphere and and it may have lasted a couple of weeks if that and then nothing happened again until I was 14 Not an argument, not a crossed word, nothing. But I know it's very much tied up in a control with me That Mm -hmm. is my way of controlling that which I can't control. I am a control freak. I try as hard as I can to not let that affect things, let it affect friendships or let it affect Things that I do. I mean, I've often been described as bossy in certain situations. That I like again, to... as most women have. Yes, I hate that word. Um, but taking direction and telling you know and, and trying to get things right. In my head, everything always has to be right. Why? What is the problem? Because it's if it's knocked? not, it's wrong, and wrong is bad. It says to the child in me,
0: my dad will be disappointed. Right. Yeah. It's it's usually from from. The different because I've I don't know if you have as well, but and and a lot of people have have done tried out different therapies over mm. the years for for anything that they yes. have be it anxiety, OCD, anything, and it it usually comes down to protecting the child in you the child part of your brain, which is always there, but the I think one of the hardest things to do is to move away from that and and just just treat yourself like an adult but that's that's one of the hardest thing to yeah s- t- sort of for me and for a lot of people i think it's it's just about being okay with the fact that sometimes your parents might be disappointed in you because of a de- decision that you've made like that's bad news for the for a nine-year-old you but it's not really a big deal for the 24 year old you it do it, you know it's
1: even you saying your parents might be disappointed in you, I got a pain through my chest. A, did you? Yeah, physical, physical pain. pain. That, that would be literally like well enough thinking about it. I, that's
0: that'd be the worst. That that disappointment would be the worst. Did you when you were going pretty deep now, for a large part of your childhood, were you were you sort of doing very well in things yes. and yeah. yeah. And did you did you ever quotation marks, fail before nine years old? Don't think I did.
1: Um now this is where we get into some really strange territory. And as a child I was very much a high achiever. I mean sadly that is not evident in my later life, but you know, we've all
0: got to have a glory days. Well you've gotta you've gotta stop at some point because <laughs> a high achievement is exhausting and unrealistic. Yeah. So it has to like, okay, we had a good run in the childhood, now can I just Failable. And
1: it's been proven that people who are incredibly high achievers at school don't achieve well in later life. Don't mm. achieve as well as those who are just a little bit behind because they fight for it the rest of their lives, whereas we get complacent, and then it sort of slides away. It's an interesting thing, um, but I was, I could speak fluently by eighteen months. Have sit and have conversations with other people. Then, I, could yeah, read I, I was the
0: same actually. By yeah. By
1: about three, I could read in my head. By four, I was very advanced and. And my mum and dad never had kids before, and they went, well, that's normal then. Right. Yeah. That that We expect this. This is this is just what kids do. So Dangerous, isn't it? A little. Went to school, very high achiever, used to sit and read to the class uh, when the other kids couldn't even read, would be trotted. When, when people used to want to bring their kids to the school, I'd be pulled out of the class so they could go, come and meet one of our average pupils, and then they'd have me sit and read, and all that sort of thing. Um so I was. I always it must achieved. be
0: weird getting a promotion as a child. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Like so at any point during that, during the those amazing <laughs> prodigy years, did you at any point did you think I'm actually finding this quite difficult now? But I should keep it up. Or was it just oh, this is easy and
1: everyone likes it. That never became a problem until it was a graded exam. It never became an issue to me because I just would achieve.
0: Yeah. I, as is you.
1: M- it was, but I would also
0: make bloody sure of it ah right because i I so did you you ever right so you did have a doubt that oh there's there's a possibility that i might not be the best at this
1: and people would pick up on it and they were teachers are really clever and my headmaster at first school was amazing and he um he picked up that i was very competitive and he got me to learn the recorder so quickly because he pitted me against somebody else Mm. he would just go oh is this the piece of music you're working on Tony's on two pages ahead of that in the book. And I'd be like, then I'm going to practice all night and be three pages ahead of him. And he knew what he was doing. And that's, it's still the best button to press in me because it will work.
0: Do, I, do you, to this day, do you appreciate that he did that? Oh, yeah, yeah totally. I did that and you totally appreciate that. You, you think oh, that was yeah. the right
1: thing? I think it, was, it was definitely the right for thing you. for me. Yeah. Now, the flip side of this coin, because I don't see any of that as negative still. Um, I was competitive. I really loved achieving. I really loved sort of, everything about that worked for me. What didn't work for me was, I was an only child, but I had a sister, an imaginary sister. Who I didn't imagine. My dad imagined her. And he pitted me against Sean, which was her name, in everything. Sean was my competition.
0: Was she? a part of your child, of a lot of your childhood. When did you remember she come being two
1: and Sean being around? So we're talking very young.
0: So what if I, did that start off as? How did a joke? how was it introduced? Uh, just, just as a it was joke. It's just a funny thing that oh, you haven't finished your dinner. Oh, Sean. Ah, oh, because right, a lot of
1: parents do that. That's right. Because I've never heard anyone sort of having this.
0: I think that's figure. I think every parent has their own techniques. To, right. It, yeah. okay
1: We need to get these peas inside. Yeah. In <laughs> Let's... The police are coming. The police are coming now. Yeah, that sort of yeah, desperation.
0: Yeah, let, let's go into who... Yeah, whether it's phoning... No, I mean, Jason... Um, Jason Manfred's talked about how his dad used to ring up the police when he did something wrong, and it was just he found out many years later it was his granddad on the end of the phone. <laughs> Whatever works for that child, okay, yeah. let's get into their world, find yeah. out what, what is important to a child, and that okay, for you it was... Okay, so this, this, this funny sister, Sean. Sean. Was she a
1: brilliant at everything? Enraged me. Yeah. She was perfect. Um and it it started off as this jokey thing and then it became a lot more serious because it became a competition for my dad's affection. That I would go and hug my dad and he pushes away because Sean was already hugging him. And then he'd incite me to hit her to, to like beat her up, but I'd be like punching and punching the sofa where she was sat. Trying to throw her out the window and he'd go, Oh, she's over here now. And I the fury that Oh but it was always a case of, oh, I did, I got 9 out of 10 on my spelling test today.
0: Mm, Sean got 10.
1: Aww. I've been bumped up to four years above me in reading age. Shaden's reading five. And it was always that. Now, my dad says now he appreciates it was not a positive or healthy thing to do. And the reason he did it was, in certain points of my life, I had no competition. I had no brothers and sisters. I was top of my class, top of my school I had no competition and he needed to instill competition in me to make me want to achieve. And that's why he did it. And it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. It was protecting you. Uh, yeah, and, and trying. But he never, he said, he felt if he just showered me with praise the way my mum did, God love her, um, then I would just sit on, rest on my laurels. I would try that everything I did would be great, so why bother? So the flip side of that was nothing was ever good enough. And my mum said it's ridiculous because at the time he would tell everybody who would listen how proud he was. But never me.
2: You're listening to Anything Funny, all about the comedy scene in the northeast of England with her, Kate Murphy. And her, Pef Salisby. And today we've been speaking to Sammy Dobson. Well, Kate has been speaking to Sammy Dobson. And uh, we have got so much from the interview that we are going to be playing some more for you next week.
0: Next week, uh, on a similar
2: note to today, she
0: will be talking about uh, her post-traumatic stress disorder, which um, which she has because of the the car accident that she was involved in a few years ago. Um, so more of the same, more of the same deep, um, with with humour injected in there, of course, but more of the same deep and and serious uh, talk next week uh,
2: with Sammy Dobson. Maybe this is a good time for us to be delving into this while everyone's away uh, at Edinburgh Fringe. Making people laugh. <laughs> you know? Making people laugh, yeah. So a lot of our, you know, the, the comedians that would be around that we would normally talk to and interview and would be doing local shows they've got something else on their plate so we're just going to take this moment to, to breathe and talk about some serious topics in the life of one of our best comedians in the northeast.
0: Always helps to talk about them with with a sense of humour, um, but because I think that's what the the, be- the most serious topics it's best to talk about them in that way. Definitely. And, and some people are very, as Sammy has shown, are very skilled at at talking about them in a in a funny way, and but making us know at the same time just how
2: dreadful <laughs> they can be. I mean, something we've talked about on this show before is taboo topics and and dark humour and. I think again it's one of those things in it all comes down to context people talking about these dark topics if it's something that they're drawing on from their own life you've said this before mm-hmm. you've said this
0: the last time we spoke about it yeah. you 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 said that you you are all ears to dark stuff as long as it's coming from a personal
2: place yeah. from someone and that's a good way of processing things and you know using hu- humor as a coping mechanism and Putting a dark spin on something that you've been through, yeah, exactly. And you're not making fun of other people. I think it's the the key to me. Yeah, you know, she's talking about her own experiences rather than being like, her. Uh, well, no, I won't even go there.
0: <laughs> it's weird. It, OCD is a funny thing because I don't know if it's if you could say the same for this, but me and my brother both had like. Like, th- like things and like twitches that would do all the way through childhood mm. but it seems that seems very normal for a child to have it's yeah. obviously it's there are people who have OCD and there are people who don't have OCD but it's 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 kind of a little bit more blurry in childhood obviously it wasn't with Sammy that was that was OCD that she was describing but Definitely, certainly, me and my brother and our childhood—we had like repetitive things. both mm. of us had our own like. Th- like my brother would like click and whistle to himself, just walk around doing that. Yeah, it was just like something that he did. Like, and wasn't like a like a compulsive thing, but it was something that he did. And my mom and dad would be like, what? "Stop that! What are you doing? You're annoying people!" <laughs> and you'd just be like, oh, "I don't even realize that I'm doing it." But from a very young age, like for a long time, he did that, and I would have, I would have my own rituals that
2: that I would do. Is what well. did you? Did you have sort of behaviours like that? I don't as a think child? I had rituals, but I definitely relate to a lot of what Sammy was saying about the worry, the constant worry and the fear that bad things were going to happen. But I didn't have rituals to stave it off. I was, I was just thinking that things were going to happen. Was that happen. a part of your. Oh, yeah. World. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, it was very much walking on eggshells and not sure where, you know, where's the next bad thing going to come from. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and also the, the high achieving thing, because I was very bright when I was in school and I had like a higher reading level than most of the kids and so on. I just wanted to be left alone to read and not be hassled. That was really all I wanted, mm. uh, but I did not have that competitive streak. That's the thing. That's the huge difference. So when it comes to competition and conflict, I fold. It doesn't motivate me at all. Yeah. I hate a yep. Yeah. Like a house of cards, I will collapse. And just be like, oh, there's no point in me trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rather than risk the failure. So the kind of the opposite to Sammy, where obviously that gave her the the fire and powered her up. Yeah. To be like, <laughs> yeah. well, I'm going to be the best. But yeah. Yeah, that doesn't work on me at all.
0: Yeah. That would infuriate me as mm-hmm. well. Well, well, Martin's two pages. Ahead. Is he? Is he two pages ahead? I'll close the book then. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Exactly. But yeah, so. I think that's like one of my personal failings in my personality is just like the lack of staying power and willpower. In nah, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't
0: say that. I wouldn't go around making statements about yourself like that. <laughs> no, no, I disagree. I think not not just because I'm similar, <laughs> but but no, I think that comp- competitive. It's not. It's not always. It's not always like the part of the building blocks of a of a healthy person to be competitive mm. some people some people just aren't
2: true yeah i mean I'm, i'll always be collaboration over competition
0: mm.
2: and i guess you need people like that otherwise the world is just at war all but, the time yeah there you go mm-hmm. well that's a nice deep thought to end on should we wrap up are we at the end there we are pretty much at the end um so thank you very much for listening and uh, as we said join us two weeks time for, for more Sammy Davis Junior. Sammy. Sammy Davis Dobson. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for listening and uh, if you have anything funny to share with us or any thoughts on what we've been talking about today do get in touch. You can tweet us at anything Funny or at Spark Sunderland or contact us through the Spark Facebook page and remember to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and listen to our archive on mixcloud.com forward slash NEThingfunny. We'll be back again in two weeks. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you soon.